0: I want to uh, share a little bit about, we're going we're to gonna kind of focus on the theme of rest, renewal, um, and uh, you might say, well, how does that kind of fit into the overall theme of, of things? We've been talking a lot about reach, raise, and release. Um, we've been talking about exodus, part of the theme of, of, of this year, that the word God gave pastors, exodus, and that means so much more than just a physical moving or leaving uh, and there's so much in the in in Exodus that applies to our lives spiritually uh where what we 're coming out of maybe old habits, old cycles, old patterns into the new into the promised new things that God has for us so that's uh this this i and I, and then when the word was spoken when the when we had the word from the Lord this morning during worship and in the early service, they both just were 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 on the same theme of God wants to spend time with us. God wants to spend time with his children. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something he desires. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, he longs to spend time with us. And so his invitation is there. His promise is there to meet us where we're at and to fill us, to restore us, to renew us. And uh, after coming back from, from, from Switzerland, I was just impressed of how God met 150 missionaries who are serving in all uh, over the world many of them in very desert like places dry places in the middle east and 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 how they came into <clears throat> this conference this ten day conference called breathe and that's exactly what what happened they began to breathe again they began to be restored they came looking their countenance one way kind of some burnout some maybe calloused from the the hardness of just life and ministry there and after a couple of days, their whole countenance changed. Things just changed for these missionaries. And they went back with a renewed focus uh, and, and restored health, body, mind, and spirit to go out and to continue to serve the Lord in some super hard places. So, um, by the way, um, my son is here from Biola. Luke and his friend Kireh, uh, Kiresh. I'm still not pronouncing it very well, but... Kiresh and his family served as, as missionaries with us in Turkey, and Luke and him went to, uh, went to school together, played soccer together, um, and uh, worshipped together, and, and yeah, developed a friendship, and Kiresh surprised us with, with a visit this past week, and we're so glad you're here, but let him, uh, the, the two of them helped me lead worship here on Tuesday nights, did a great job, and just so blessed to have uh, our kids uh, serving the Lord, and, and just going after the things of God. Um, a little story about the Keeper of the Stream. This story is based on a tale called Keeper of the Stream. And there was once a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam in it. You could see rocks and sand and rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. Sounds like a place I'd like to go trout fishing. High in the hills, far, but far beyond any one site, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from run, one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council council decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill and all noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were clean. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. You know, our existence is, is, is not all about um, our house, our car, our status, our bank account, our jobs, but our, our souls are the, really the foundation of our existence And yet, they are so, so oftentimes go unnoticed. They go, they don't scream out that they need something. They often go unnoticed. We often uh, maybe uh, just kind of cover them over with with activity. And and yet our souls are really the foundation of our lives. And we grow our souls by nourishing them. And we do that by eliminating uh, hurry from our lives, creating space, uh, to spend time, as we heard that as that word get, was given today, to spend time with our Lord, who want desires so much to spend time with us, we carve out the space to do that. We, we 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 take initiative where we need to 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 nourish our souls, and it's hard to do. It's 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 a hard thing to do nowadays, isn't it? In our in our lifestyles, in the in our in our hurried lifestyles, it's a hard thing. It it it, it takes effort, and the soul is is often preoccupied by by the the things of this world, and, um, and then they grow, it grows stagnant and impure, and so a lot of the times the water we give to others makes them sick, gossip in the church, um, things that we say that we know we shouldn't have, that we regret, whatever it might be, what kind of water are we giving to the church, just among us, among our community, but what are we giving to the world? The water we give should be life-giving. The stream is your soul. You are the keeper of your soul. We partner with God as he restores our soul. So every day we make choices about what we do in that, in that context of nurturing our soul. And are the choices that I make today keeping my stream clean? Am I keeping my stream clean? Am I being present for people who come into my life today, that they are maybe attracted to what I have, what, what I have as a believer because they see that life-giving flow coming out of me. Jesus said, streams of water, uh, uh, those who believe in me, they just will be filled and that, that, that will flow out of you um, because God, God wants to fill us. He wants us to be streams, not stagnant bogs, not stagnant ponds. Dallas Willard says it like this, our soul is like an inner stream of water which gives strength and direction and harmony to every other element of our life. And when that stream is as it should be, we're constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Our souls are rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom. That talks about, again, the limitlessness of God, the vastness of God and his kingdom. Our souls are rooted in that. And, and, uh, but we don't come into that relationship by chance. We come ta- making effort to spend time with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to some of these <coughs> verses here. Just take off, let's just take off maybe our, our, if you came in with an analytical hat today, take off your analytical hat and put on a reflective one. Something that just will take in and receive and reflect on what the Lord is saying today. Um, These scriptures are powerful. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. My soul thirsts for God. With joy, you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I will lead them beside streams of water. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Streams of living water will flow from within him. Revelation 22, 1, whoever's thirsty, let him come. This is the invitation. This is the heart of God for us. Come, all who are thirsty, After reading these verses, there can be no doubt that God is inviting us to enter into his rest, to be renewed and to be refreshed. So rest is at the heart. You know, we talk about Sabbath, and and there's a lot of ideas of what Sabbath should look like. We talk about it in terms of a day of the week. We talk about it maybe sabbatical, like taking a time or a season of rest or stepping back. We talk about Sabbath, um, but there's also... Uh, just to broaden that a little bit, there's also Sabbath moments, Sabbath times, pauses where we step back, just as Pastor was saying, where we step back and turn uh, and just take a look, just become more aware of what's around us, what God may be doing, what God may be speaking to us through a cert- in a certain circumstance or um, through some analogy that he gives us, like a stream that's flowing down uh, and and something like that or, or God often gives us pictures. And yet we often don't stop to just really just to just stop and reflect. Just stop and become aware uh, in our busy world. So rest is at the heart of Sabbath. And Sabbath observance was extremely difficult for God's people who were led out of Egypt. We talk about Exodus, and they, you know, they had been they 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 had been conditioned into this slavery mentality. Um, they were slaves in Egypt, and that's the mentality that they came out with. And to rest from work, and this whole idea of Sabbath in their minds was, was, didn't seem like an option. It seemed ludicrous that God would provide and give joy apart from my effort. I don't have to do anything. It's sheer gift. Yeah, it's true. And God was inviting them into that, into that, but they didn't... They didn't acknowledge it. They didn't, many didn't accept it or go in, step into it. They, they operated in a spirit of self-preservation. And I think that's often what I do. And I know that many of us kind of operate in a spirit of self-preservation, kind of trusting in, in our own resources, the things that we have at our disposal. And yes, God gives us resources, but he also gives us times when we uh, we come to our wit's end. We come to places where we have no other resources besides coming to him. And I love what uh, Austin was preaching, uh, preached on Tuesday. Austin did a great job ministering to us on Tuesday. What a great word if you were there. But his, what stuck with me is, are we making God a last resort? Are we making him our last resort? Or is it, is it something we're doing to go to him are we making a habit of going to him? Not as a, as a first resort, not as a last resort. And, and I thought that was a great word. And that's, that's often, I think, what, what we need to learn in terms of entering into God's rest. Coming into that rest requires that we make God our first resort, not our last. Rest is at the heart of Sabbath. God does provide. Does God, God does give joy apart from my effort? Not that effort isn't important, but he, he wants us to rest in just a giving a, a place of receiving his gifts. So they needed to move from self-preservation to allowing God to take care of them. And, and that was a challenge as we look at the scriptures and look at the wanderings of the Israelites throughout um, their time in the desert. But eventually, this pendulum swung the other way, and God started was doing miracles. Uh, he parted the Red Sea. He led them out of Egypt. He, he did miracles along the way, and eventually, um, they began to see God's provision as something that they were, um, and his miracles as something they were entitled to, that they, they had, there was a spirit of greed and entitlement there. And, uh, and they were complaining when there was, whenever there was an obstacle or they got stuck. Um, or there was a lack, They, they, they fell into complaining. They failed to enter into God's rest and became spoiled children who couldn't trust. Sabbath carries with it a tremendous element of trust. Entering into God's rest goes hand in hand with trusting God more. Because we aren't. Uh, we just aren't wired that way, most of us, and that's why Jesus talks about having to become like children and being able to just receive and trust God that He will provide, trust God that He will come through, trust God that He will take care of the the, the things that I leave behind in order to step back and and pause and take a time to reflect and rest. Um. Yeah, along with this whole analogy of, of the stream and stream cleaning, there's an agricultural analogy, of course, to, to Sabbath as well. Um, if you've ever flown and you've gotten up high enough and you look down, you see the, the fields. Uh, um, even if you fly out of Sacramento here, you'll see the fields, and some are brown, some are green. There's a mixture there, some are gold. But um, there's, this, there's this idea of, or there's this concept of uh, letting the land rest. And uh, practicing that ancient art of uh, crop rotation, and we don 't do it as much as as we used to because um, there 's all this junk they put in the soil <laughs> but uh, and uh, it does it does somehow you know, re- renew it uh, more more quickly but but the ancient art of crop rotation was important to let that ra- ground rest in order to take in the nutrients and take in the the nourishment it needed, but that in itself on the farmer's part required a great element of trust, right? That he's going to let that land sit in order that uh, next season uh, that it's going to increase in, in harvest. It's going to multiply a harvest. It's going to, it's going to uh, give him more than he, it ever could by not letting it rest. So there, re, uh, there are times to plant, times to plant, And there's times to step back and cease striving and let the ground of our hearts take in the vital nourishment they need. There remains a... a, Let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So it's a modeling after the Father's creative plan and, and the Father's the, the work, uh, really of the Trinity, in creation and how they created the Earth, God rest from his work. So Sabbath has a creative creative element to it. How many of you know, when you take some good rest, you come back into your, your, your normal life with a little bit more creativity? A little bit more clarity, a little bit more insight, a uh, little bit more energy. And that's, uh, that's the creative element of Sabbath. And then you also got the redemptive element of Sabbath. God redeems us in order to give us rest, takes us out of our slavery and bondage into a peaceful place of rest. There remains a Sabbath rest <coughs> for the people of God. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So entering into God's rest is Sabbath, and it means Sabbath moments, it means Sabbath days. Thankful that we can take this day apart, set it apart as a day to be with God's people, day to rest. And and yet, what are we doing to recharge throughout the week? What are we doing to renew our hearts and minds throughout the week? It's those Sabbath moments that keep us in a, rather than a kind of a... uh, a fix it mode. You know, I come I I come to I I come to church once a week and and I get kind of fixed up and then I go out. Well, God does want to fix us up. God does want to renew us. God does want to build us up and prepare us. And yet there's the other approach to, to uh, maintenance, and that is a preventative maintenance mode, where we, where we throughout the week are taking what we've learned, maybe taking something from the Word, taking that and implementing it into our lives, applying it, stepping back, reflecting, doing what we need to recharge on a daily basis rather than waiting until we're broke. And so I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I wait till I'm broke and then it takes more effort, more time, more pain to get fixed. So God wants to renew us daily. God wants to recharge us daily. I don't know how you approach the maintenance of your your car or your home, but some have the motto of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, I don't know if some of you uh, have that motto. On some things I've had, it doesn't always work so well. Usually there's a (coughs) then I, usually there's more expense and more time fixing it uh, when that happens so when we go into the preventative now businesses companies are calling it predictive maintenance but preventative maintenance what we might have heard of is this idea of just yeah uh, yeah I change the oil in my car uh, once every five thousand miles or so whatever whatever you do to Do preventative maintenance so that it doesn't break and cost you a lot of money. Soul care is the same way. One of the greatest causes of soul sickness is neglect. We can approach maintenance in either of those two ways that I just described. Let it become sick. And then take the slow and painful steps toward recovery. Or expose the soul repeatedly to God's light, his love. And maintain health and vitality in our lives. So how can we pay more attention? As the writer of Hebrews admonishes admonishes us to care for our own souls. I love this uh, quote from John Eldridge. He says, The work of Christ in healing the soul is a deep mystery. More amazing than open heart surgery. Friend described his experience as having Christ holding the broken parts of my heart in his hands, and bringing them all together, holding them tenderly until his life brings a wholeness or a oneness to what was many pieces. I love that picture of soul care. God comes along, holds those broken pieces of our lives, and we just get broken. That's just part of living, right? And God comes along, and as we allow him, as we surrender, as we give, he he takes those broken pieces, and he knows as only he knows to do, to, to bring them together, to heal it, to bring wholeness again. And that comes by letting him have his way in our hearts, uh, intentionally letting him come in. I don't know about you, going back to the stream analogy, um, I ask myself this question, what sort of debris can, can easily clog my soul? And there's, a, there's, I don't know about you, but for me, there's, there's a lot of different things uh, that can do that. It can be just not, um, just rushing hurriedly into things, making decisions uh, um, abruptly without asking for God's wisdom, not consulting, not getting advice uh, from, from wise people who have more experience than I do. A lot of different things can clog my soul, uh, a lack of, lack of time in the word, lack of time uh, with the Lord on a daily basis. Um... I, my soul can easily get clogged, and then we need some maintenance. And signs, here's some signs that, uh, that I thought about for myself that, that are signs that I may be failing to enter into God's rest. It's when my conversations are mostly about trivial things. Lots about doing, little about being. You ever been there, just kind of surface things? I want to challenge you today, and I ch- as I challenge myself Let's go deeper in relationship. Uh, Sabbath, the whole idea of Sabbath is community, uh, has this idea of community, building community, building trust among one another. It's not always easy to do. We've got to take that next step to ask maybe that next question be beyond how are you doing today and get a little deeper. Let God, do, let God carry that conversation to a little deeper level. Um, but when my conversations are mostly about trivial things, uh, With other people, it's it's a sign to me that probably I may not be entering into God's rest as I should be, Um, and maybe I'm even trying to hide something from someone. So think about it. We live in a state of hurriedness. That's another that's another one. Um, I'm living in a state of hurriedness. I'm probably failing to enter God's rest as I should be. Listen to this quote. Barbara Brown Taylor says, "Drawn to care for hurt things." I had ended up with compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue, by the way, is a, is a, is a true diagnosis, actually, of people who work in service uh, work. They do, you know, um, maybe com- kind of compassion work, humanitarian work, helping professions. Um, you may have experienced that. Maybe you've never heard of compassion f- fatigue, but now you can put a, a, a name on it. But uh, compassion fatigue is a very real... A very real thing, <clears throat> and uh, and so drawn to care, and it's a God-given thing. We're drawn to care for people. We're drawn to serve. We we see people who do that. It just seems to be like a gift that God has given them, especially to serve and to give out. And yet, even those with the gift can come to a place of compassion fatigue, because there's it's like that. It's like that. Uh, like that. Um, you know stream that's going in in, but not getting clean it's not receiving refreshment she says i had ended up a service provider instead of being a servant drawn to marry the divine presence i had ended up estranged i don't know about you but i recognize myself in some of that at times here's another sign that i may be failing into failing to enter god's rest i lack peace just lack of peace, and uh, that should be a sign to us that, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe God is calling me into his presence to give me peace. Number four here, um, I may be failing to enter God's rest when I find myself doubting God's goodness on a continual basis or a habitual basis. I'm doubting God, and we see that in the story of the Israelites wandering through the desert, the doubt, the unbelief. Um, but when I find myself doubting, when I find myself um, not believing God or at clinging to his promises, I may be in that place of just needing rest, needing to enter into God's rest. See, So we see, Hebrews 3 verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Think about this whole theme of Exodus that we've been talking about this year and entering, <clears throat> entering stepping, out of, stepping out of the old, stepping out of the, of the old and into something new. Entering into God's rest goes hand in hand with Exodus. Because as we leave, we must have somewhere to go, right? You know, and God wants to lead us where? Beside streams of water beside those green pastures into those places of rest so we know that's a given that's not something we have to look for outside the scripture God is leading us into places of rest God is leading us into calm peaceful places and that provides a foundation for wherever he's leading us in the future for God's people to have an impact a greater impact than ever before in the world. Because we're people who, who live out of rest. We live out of being filled. We operate out of that. So we must have somewhere to go. And God wants to lead us into those peaceful places. Otherwise, we're going from one type of bondage to another. And that's exactly what the Israelites were, had experienced. They, they, went from, they went out of bondage in Egypt... They went right into another bondage, more than one bondage. But, but they, they failed to enter God's rest. Rest prevents us from going into to, to those kinds of bondages, those things that hinder us, that, that, uh, that keep us uh, living outside of, of God's plan for our lives. So, therefore, as the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, Hebrews 4.1. So I want to talk about entering God's rest as a form of soul care. Uh, The stream is our soul, and we are the keepers. So let's look at this here, how to enter into God's rest as a form of soul care. Number one, be intentional and holistic. I think holistic is a good word because I think a lot of times we think of soul care in, in terms of the things that are, are obvious. And we learn as, as new believers to stay in the word of God, to spend time in God's presence, foundational things that are so important, to, don't, uh, to not forsake assembling together, to, get, to be together with God's people, so important and critical. All those things are important. But as far as rest on an on a individual and on a weekly basis, what we can do. Um, we need to be holistic, thinking how God gives me life. How does God give you life? What energizes you and what prepares you for service? Uh, and, and so be intentional and be holistic. Here's a list of things just that, that, could, that give me rest, um, that could possibly be ways that, that you can broaden That we can kind of broaden our idea of entering into God's rest, being renewed. Uh, Stillness, rest, silence. Physical activity. For the the stillness, rest, silence, all those parents with little kids. I'm I'm, bless you. (laughs) Physical activity, stretching, walking, taking a hike, playing a game. Thinking holistically. Prayer, meditation on Scripture, counseling, input, guidance, reflective conversation. I love the conversations we were having yesterday morning at men's breakfast. I heard some, I overheard some of them. I was part of some of them of life-giving conversations. They were conversations that went deeper than just "How are you? How are things going?" Uh, I noticed people really sharing from their hearts. Uh, my son and his friend and 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 myself were sitting next to Larry, and Larry was sharing his testimony with us, how God, let, God, God got a hold of his life, and it's an amazing testimony. There was a life-giving conversation, but we had to ask. Uh, my son intentionally asked that a question to prompt him to share. We need to sometimes go to that next level of asking and showing an interest, and then, and then God begins to open up the conversation to a whole new level. So, conversations, socializing, hearing stories, telling stories, laughing, awareness, noticing things we normally rush past. And I think that's, what What do you see around you? What are some things that maybe just kind of go unnoticed? Um, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of things we can kind of just pass by if we don't pause to take notice. And then what is God saying in that? What is some kind of analogy? What is some kind of s- symbol? What is something that God is speaking how does that line up with the word? So there's a lot of things that, just in a, a deeper awareness, just t- stop, stopping and, and, and turning and noticing something that we would normally rush past. Reflecting. What am I thinking about and feeling? What is bringing me joy? Bringing, what is bringing me to tears? What could this trial be teaching me? So letting circumstances kind of, let God, speak, let God speak through those circumstances. Again, it requires... Pausing and stopping, journaling, writing a poem, writing down scripture. Those are just a few of the things. But I, I invite you to to look at those and maybe jot down a couple um, before you leave today that you want to implement, or that you want to. Maybe you did you were doing them kind of normally bef- some time in the past, but you've kind of gotten away from them. Um, <clears throat> even even the, the the basics, you know, like just being in the Word every morning or being. Spending time with the Lord every day. So think about those things that could bring you life, can energize you, can give you rest. Mark, this is a great quote, and I encourage you, if you want a book that will really broaden your perspective on Sabbath and what Sabbath means, this is a great book. It's called The Rest of God, and here's what the author says. The rest God gladly gives is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It's a stop-work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them. Without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. I love that. It's sheer gift. God wants to give us a gift. It is in these pauses that we allow God to do His creative work inwardly, and position us for a life of outward success and service. So, just in Switzerland, um, a couple weeks ago, we got back from a ten-day conference called Breathe in Switzerland. hundred and fifty missionaries came from from all over the world. Many of them from the very very difficult and 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 uh, Hard ground uh, places they were working in, and um, but Switzerland, just the sight of you know as you drive out the airport and and get come into all the lush greenness of Switzerland, you, it's it's enough to to just let you breathe again, you know. And um, so I think a lot of our our missionaries that came, just that experience alone. Um, was a a step in the direction. And then they just, it continued from there, just great, great conversations, great teaching, great um, times of renewal in God's presence. So they went back to their places of service, just renewed and fired up and ready to go. But being in Switzerland, um, you have to be on time because that's the way Swiss culture operates, on time. The bell would ring, they, they, they do this little uh, the dining area at the conference center, is, they have this little cow bell, and all, all the cows out there wear, wear, have their bells around their necks. So you hear all the jingles, and you're walking down a path, you hear all the bells ring, and it's the cows and the goats walking around. But they ring a little cowbell for, to come to dinner, and you've got to be there on time. So <coughs> this, and, and so we know that, you know, Swiss clocks, right, known for precision. And, and Swiss chocolate I don't know what that has anything to do with time, but it's, it's, it's yummy. Yeah, and Swiss army knives, of course. Now, all of us in our family have Swiss army knives, except this past time my wife we passed some Swiss army knives, and she said, "I'm the only one in my family who doesn't have a Swiss army knife. I'm going to buy a Swiss army knife." So she got herself a Swiss army knife. So now we all have Swiss Army knives. I don't know what she's going to use it for in the kitchen or something. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got, her, she's got her knife now. So, But this Swiss clock uh, is the interesting in the railway system to to, to talk to, to think about these Swiss clocks and how they operate. One of the attendees who came to one of these Breathe conferences was a missionary, who, a pastor who w- serves in Hong Kong. His name is Pastor Tim Latour. And as he was leaving the conference, going back to the railway station... <clears throat> uh, he, was, he was enthralled by this whole idea of Swiss time and the clocks and all, saw all these little clocks all over the, the railway station. And um, so he writes, he reflects on this. Again, he paused, to reflect. And he reflects on this and he, and he wrote this. He said, the Swiss railway clock. I uh, looked around and they're all over the place. There are clocks everywhere and they're all the same, big black minute markings, no numbers, and the strange rounded red second hand sweeping around the clock. And while I sat waiting in the train station, something happened I will never forget. I was watching the clock. The red second hand got all the way up to the 12 o'clock spot and stopped. Then click, the minute hand moved forward and the second hand started circling again. The clock stopped for two seconds. How is this possible? I mean. Wouldn't all the clocks be behind if they stop for two seconds each minute? Wouldn't that throw the whole train system off? How are they doing this? So I started looking up more information about this clock. I had to find out what was going on. The Swiss Railway Clock was designed in 1944 and owes its technology to the particular requirements of operating a railway. First, railway timetables do not list seconds Trains in Switzerland always leave the station on the full minute. Secondly, all the clocks at the railway station must be perfectly aligned in order to show reliable time for both passengers and railway personnel anywhere on or around the station. The station clocks in Switzerland are synchronized by receiving an electrical impulse from a central master clock at each full minute, advancing the minute hand by one minute. It requires only about 58.5 seconds to circle the face. Then the hand pauses briefly at the top of the clock, and it starts a new rotation as soon as it receives the next-minute impulse from the master clock. So the second hand goes a little bit faster than normal, then stops at the minute mark, and that's when the train leaves. Brilliant. This clock taught me so much in just two seconds taught me that we need to stop on a regular basis to connect with the source. We need to pause just for a little while so we can refocus and realign ourselves with God and wait. We need it. I was thinking I need a Swiss clock in my house. Rest time. Charles Spurgeon says this. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take leave in the long run. We shall do more by sometimes doing less. Amen. So, this is how, this is how um, we restore, by being intentional and holistic. Another way we restore is by personalizing more than analyzing. And we've been talking about this a little bit. It's come up a couple times as Pastor has shared um, this whole idea of the contrast the difference between knowledge and truth knowledge can be analyzed knowledge can be assessed and 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 looked at from that perspective but truth must be applied truth must be received and applied and so um, i think god is inviting me into more of a personalized experience with him and as he's as he's calling us all into relationship It seems fitting that he wants us to go from, especially if we're kind of wired that way, to being more analytical, going from there to being more personal, being more personalizing the word, letting God's word speak to us. What does it mean for me? Not what does it mean for the other person? Um, And we tend to do that, especially for us who in this line of work of ministry, of, of preaching and teaching, we tend to do that. So we really have to, I personally have to make a conscious effort not to always analyze, but personalize. What does it mean for me? But uh, this is important, I think. We focus on the personal application of truth. Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Test and approve what God's will is. That speaks to me of personalizing the, the word uh, of uh, rather than simply analyzing. Thirdly, ways we can enter into soul care and rest for our souls. Accept this community. Accept this community. Now, how many of you know communities are a little messy sometimes? <laughs> you know, no, 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 no individual is perfect, therefore no church is perfect, and so we have communities that are flawed uh, of wounded people in process and uh, on the road to healing, but not quite there yet. So we need to, uh, uh, if we if we come into a community with with um, with uh, kind of wanting to pick it apart or to judge it, we're not going to receive what God has for us in that community and be a, 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 a we're going to be just add to the problem rather than be part of the solution. So accepting the community is important to both give and receive healing. Uh, Scott Peck says it like this. He says, how strange that we should ordinarily feel compelled to hide our wounds when we are all wounded. Community requires the ability to expose our wounds and weaknesses to our fellow creatures. It also requires the ability to be affected by the wounds of others. But even more important is the love that arises among us when we share both ways our woundedness. And then John Ortberg says this, Community is made up of people with all their richness, but also with all their weakness and poverty, of people who accept and forgive each other, who are vulnerable with each other. Humility and trust are more at the foundation of community than perfection. More than anything else, God uses people to heal people. That's why entering into rest is, with that, goes a lot. Along, along with that goes community, being part of community and accepting the community. Fourthly, entering into rest means being okay with process. Be okay with process. God is a God of process. God is a God who is with us in the journey. Um, I always remember a quote by Oswald Chambers. It says, God is, God is uh, more concerned with the journey than the destination. He's actually in with us. Forming us, shaping us in the process. Working with wounded people, healing lives. So let's be okay with process. Um, As Henry David Thoreau, I don't agree with everything he says, but this is a really, really um, interesting quote by him. Uh, As a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. And I think about, uh, as a hunter, the deer trails, you know, how, how those trails have not, have not just formed overnight. They're process years and years of just those being formed. And so, there's to make a deep mental path, he says, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. And that, again, goes back to Romans 12, too, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Allowing our minds to be transformed by the word of God. Be okay with the process. That's how God works. Um, Don't compare yourself with someone else. Be okay with the process God has you in. And let, let him do his work. Fifthly, watch the wind. Watch the wind. God is a God of mystery. He works in mysterious ways, as we know. If we walked with him for any amount of time, we, we know that God is a God of mystery. The, it's like the wind. We can't really see, see it, but we know we know it's, it's there. We know it's, it's working. It's, 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 we see its effects. We see the effects of it. So John 3.8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So with everyone born of the Spirit... Watch the wind, be aware, but, but don't try to figure everything out. It'll, it'll just never happen. Stop to consider and be okay with the mystery. As I conclude here, and the worship team could come up if you want to, um, I'm just going to take a, just got a couple more minutes here to wrap up, but here, uh, you know, going back to the stream analogy, the life of the, of the village. It says depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. And when I think about that, I think of well, what happens when it become when we become depleted? What happens when we when we when we become empty? And the and it, and depletion is inevitable. So restoration becomes essential. Depletion is inevitable, so restoration is essential. So. I want to challenge you as I challenge myself today, how can we partner with God this week to restore our souls and let, and enter into his rest this week? And just as you put those that list that I had up there before, yeah, it's up there already back on the screen here. I would just challenge you again, take two or three, of these take one whatever you feel god is leading you to do but maybe there's a practice here something you want to implement into your life to enter in something that's life-giving you say you know i know that's life-giving for me i know god restores my soul when i do this but i haven't I, i let it go sometime back or i just haven't made the first steps of implementing it write it down jot it down make a mental note and implement that this week. Do some. Tell someone you're implementing it. Have some accountability around that, and see what God does in restoring your soul, allowing you to enter into his rest just a little bit more this week, and see how out of that he uses you to impact this, this community, this county, and the world, and God's going to do it. God's got a great plan for, for Solid Rock, and it's part of it is laying this foundation in this season of Exodus to move us out in, an, in, a, in a greater way than he ever has before. God wants to give you rest so that you can have greater impact.